who wants to return to the old normal? Let's burn that to the ground because that wasn't really working for the church. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast in evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am not joined by Dave, the last things Van Bickle. And the reason being, and this is why I need you all to smash the pause button and say a memorare for Amber, wherever you're hearing this, to just push pause and to pray for her. Thank you so much for doing that. Today's episode is going to be interesting. I'm going to take a talk that I gave at Prince of Peace Catholic Church in Plano, Texas. They are crushing young adult ministry. They have an excellent team out there with Joshua and Aaron. They're amazing people, and they have created a rock-solid young adult ministry. So if you're in the Dallas area and you're looking for young adult stuff, they are the go-to place. Amazing. Now, the talk that they asked me to give is on the new normal, what to expect at church after quarantine. But the way I took the talk was, who wants to return to the old normal? Let's burn that to the ground, because that wasn't really working for the church. So I think fans of Every Knee Shall Bow will hear a lot of similar themes that we talk about on the show being incorporated into this event. Now, this event is being held at a parish. It was live. They had like 200 people there. It was awesome to see all those beautiful faces. Please sign up for the evangelization boot camp if you want to have the history, theology, and actual coaching on proclaiming the gospel as a Roman Catholic to others. Head over to evangelizationbootcamp.com, sign up, and the idea is you are investing in evangelization. We want to try to get about 100 people minimum on this thing so that we can invest in training people in how to evangelize. I'm super happy that Dave came up with this idea. Dave has been running webinars literally for a year now, and so I am excited to be able to launch this mission with you and for you. I've been doing a lot of research, and we'll have some rock-solid handouts for you as we go through this. So that's, once again, evangelizationbootcamp.com. And finally, many thanks to our friends over at Ascension Press who are killing it in the podcasting world. God bless y'all. Thanksgiving for deliverance and a prayer for help. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit and out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, you know that many of us throughout this year, throughout this time, this season, this whatever train wreck that it was or might have been for some of us, you know that many of us were in a a desolate pit. We were in a miry bog. We were in quicksand. For many of us, it got subtle and the darkness crept in. For some of us, it was almost a time of catching our breath because life beforehand was go, go, go. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you bring your peace, that we might stand upon a rock, not that we place ourselves there, Lord God, but in patience we wait upon you. Because we know with bold confidence that even though you might not come when we want you to, Lord, you will always be on time. And we know that we are incapable of rescuing ourselves, Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for descending into the desolate pit of death and suffering with us and for us so that we can be pulled out and placed on the rock. Lord Jesus, 
We continue to beg you for your healing, your great grace, and your mercy to be with us. We ask for your peace to remain upon us as we wait in patience for your will to be done in our lives. Heavenly Father, we come before you as sons and daughters in desperate need of your grace and love. And may this time of upheaval not be a time of increased anxiety or doubt, but an increase in our trust in you through the purification that we encounter. Jesus, in your matchless name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And that's really all I want for you to take away from this entire gathering today. Because we have proven over the last year that we cannot trust in princes and experts and pundits and politicians. People keep saying, well, how are we going to come back? How are we going to come back? What is the new normal going to look like? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I cannot wait for tomorrow. I cannot wait to come back because here's the deal. It is not going to look like it looked like in the past. Who wants that? Do you remember the church for the last 10 years? Total train wreck. Reboot, Nintendo reset button. Thank you, please. Right, like we can do this in our church. We can begin to address the gaps that we've allowed kind of the coasting uh, life create. We don't have to accept mediocrity in the church. We don't have to accept that division between clergy and lady with the clergy. You just do all the things and I'll just pray, pay, and obey and show up. We don't have to do that anymore. We've experienced this global tumult, which is a fun word, use it in Scrabble. We've experienced this thing. Hopefully, what I have seen, I don't know if you've seen this, but I have seen some of the sleeping laity finally wake up. They realize that they cannot coast on the liturgical prayers of their priests, but rather the liturgical prayers of their priests are meant to be caught up into and presuppose a fervent personal prayer life. Right? How can we show up at Mass and expect the God of the universe? I mean, he's, he's not our gopher. He's not our butler to show up and to just have him just fix everything without us turning throughout the week in prayer, without us making our lives living sacrifices. It was something that was just pointed out to me today by Scott Hahn. I'm on uh, the St. Paul Center email list. I get so much email from them. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful mostly. And, uh, but they're doing this thing called Parousia, the Bible and the Mass. And they let you see the, all the videos for free. And so I was watching one of the videos, and he had this line that I never thought of. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he said, it's fascinating, because writing that to the early church, he said bodies, plural, when speaking about the congregation. But when he spoke about sacrifice, it was singular. Not offer your bodies as living sacrifices, like everyone has their own individual sacrifices. But offer your bodies, everyone here, United to the one living sacrifice that is Christ on the cross, which is represented for us in the Eucharist, right? The mass matters, but it doesn't exhaust all that is the Christian life. And for many of us right now, I know we live in Texas, yeehaw, and we've had a lot more liberalities than a lot of our other friends. My, uh, I had a lady at work whose family's in Rhode Island, and they, were, they, were, <laughs> they flew down to Texas for their daughter's wedding. And they were walking around, they did an open house and all this stuff, and they were looking, they were just like wide-eyed. And she's like, what? And she's like, you'd be fined $500,000. And she's like, what? Or uh, $50,000. She's like, what? And she's like, yeah, it's a $5,000 fine for every non-household member you have in your home. 
And it's like, whoa, that is nuts. And I was like, no, I got to put on a mask when I go to the grocery store. And I was like, wow, I'd be destitute because I can't stop barbecuing. I'm from Texas, right? It's spiritual, but not religious. Maybe spiritual, right? So this whole concept of, of having, like, I remember, do you all remember last March? How the sacraments for so many of us just felt like they were put on pause. For so many of us, we were like, what? I've never, I've never gone a week without the Eucharist in my life. Now, I work for the church, right? I'm a full-time staff member at a parish. I could have received the Eucharist. I could have been like, Father, let me be one of those five people like working the cameras and then I get the Eucharist as we pan up to the ceiling so the people at home don't get jelly, right? I could have done that. I didn't do that because I was like, I will suffer in solidarity with the peasants, right? So, uh, I, mean, I mean the good people in the pews. Um, but one of the things that I saw that it did to me and for me was that in stripping that away, I, I, I always get this image of the stations of the cross where Christ is stripped of his garments. Oftentimes I have found we can't see clearly because we're surrounded by so much stuff that makes us comfortable. And it was almost as if our culture was stripped of its garments, right? That, that easy going, go to the restaurant, go to fast food, all that was stripped away. All of these things that make my life comfortable and, and dare I say, indulgent, were stripped away. As you just hear news report after news report of lockdown after lockdown and death tolls and comorbidities and everything like that. I got like 12 comorbidities. And so everyone, you're just like, what do we do? And people are, my neighbors are washing their, their Amazon delivery boxes and all this stuff. <laughs> like my buddy works for Clorox and he's like, we're millionaires, right? So like it was crazy. It was so crazy. But think about this and we're still in it. But think about what that did to the church. I don't know about you, but for me, my wife and I, I couldn't even go into the office. We were barely even getting email, let alone, you know, living our life dictated by the little bing of a Microsoft Outlook account, right? But I would wake up at, at like 5.45 and I'd make a cup of coffee and me and my wife would open the garage door and as the sun light is pouring in, me and her would pray the Liturgy of the Hours. We would pray morning prayer. I've never been able to slow my life down enough to do that. And our kids would be on rollerblades because they're weird and it's in the 90s. And they would do all this. They'd be on scooters and, you know, all this stuff. And they're going back and forth. And sometimes they would sit and pray. And now some of the morning prayers and uh, night prayers, protect us, Lord, as we stay awake, watch over us as we sleep. That's become a part of the rhythm of their prayer life, which is just osmosis, right? Just awesome. And I began to notice that it was incredible that when it stripped away, I realized I could not outsource my spirituality to my pastor, right? It's not like I didn't know that. It's not like the church doesn't teach that before you come to the holy sacrifice of the mass, she presupposes you've been evangelized, you've been converted, and you have yourself, your own personal prayer life with Christ, that you do in fact follow our Lord's teaching, go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret, and your father who hears you in secret will reward you. Like the church presupposes that. I knew that. I was doing that somewhat, but now it was like, that's all I have. I mean, I could watch it on TV, but let's be honest, it's a good supplement, it's a terrible substitute, and that's what we realized. Technology is an excellent supplement and a terrible substitute. And so what happened? Well, I don't know about y'all, 
But for me, I had, no, actually, <laughs> for me, that lasted three weeks and then I was back at work full time because I'm on the parish leadership team and we had to make decisions. So I've been at work since April 1st, and joke's on me, that was April Fool's Day, but I've been back the whole time. I've only taken, like, I've never worked more hours in my life. But the funny thing was, I do a lot of traveling and speaking and stuff. All of that got shut down, right? I lost a third of my income in the span of two weeks, like gone all summer, all Lent, right? Catholics, they got that Catholic guilt thing. They're like, invite a parish mission speaker. And I'm like, I'm your Uncle Barry. And I go out there and all that canceled, gone, none of it. And it was, it was a little bit terrifying for my family. It was a little bit terrifying for my family. But then it became amazing because daddy was home, not just daddy was providing. Daddy could be present. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have a ton of anxiety around money because I work for the church. I'm always, I'm always, always working angles. You ever meet a lay minister? Like, right? They're always like, they're always like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start another website. I'll be on Patreon, right? I have two Patreon accounts. Anywho, the idea of it though is we're so nervous about it all. We're so nervous about it all that we let the fear of of not having enough dominate so much of our of our vocation. And in fact, a lot of the professional speakers, that's their story. They, they got carried away, they said yes to everything, and then their wives were like, I didn't sign up for this. Or their husbands were like, when are you ever gonna be home? And, and COVID stopped all of that for me. And it made me re-examine my life. And I've been saying a word that I haven't said in a long time, which is no. And it really did help me to reprioritize things. So what I wanna do for you is I want to continue a vision that maybe, maybe you caught a glimpse of, like I did, during all of this craziness. And I want you to understand, so when God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden, you have to conceive of the garden as being on top of a mountain, right? In the ancients, for, for the ancient peoples, like the patriarch era, you go up a mountain and there you build an altar. Why? Because that's where heaven meets earth, right? That's the high point, you go to the high point and there you offer sacrifice. And so you have this idea of, of, of the Garden of Eden being on top of a mountain, it's a walled garden, and there in the middle of it, it's a spring and the waters go north, south, east, and west and form the great rivers. Why all this stuff God was putting Adam as his son to be a priest and a king over creation to give him dominion authority over creation but to also to make it holy right to enter into that Sabbath rest so you have liturgical worship and you have the royalty but of course we know Adam lost the sonship he lost the royalty and he lost the priesthood all by eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then you see this war going on as humanity and relationship to God keeps epically failing and running away from the call that God gave him and then God reboots with a man named Abraham and he says, through your offspring, I'm gonna bless the world. And then he gets Israel. And the thing that he told Moses the deliverer to do is go back into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my firstborn son go so that he may come out and worship me. And the whole idea that God kept promising Israel through Moses was you will be a kingdom of priests. And then what happened? The golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. What happens to the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai? The rabbis used to say, what happened to the golden calf is what happened to Adam. At the very beginning of the covenant, it was broken, savagely. And what do we find? We find the royalty being divided up and going to the house of Judah, and we find the priesthood being broken off and going to the tribe of Levi, which is why the third book of the Bible is called Leviticus. It's the priestly code and rules of the Levite tribe. 
And over and over again, God tries to unite these characters. There's a dude named Melchizedek, and then you got a guy named David. And King David, whenever he's crowned, he says one of the coronation hymns that they would sing in the Psalms is, Thou art a priest forever, as they're crowning the king, according to the order of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek was a priest king. And that is the same thing that the book of Hebrews uses to describe Jesus Christ. He is a king forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And the beautiful thing about that is one preposition that's so small but so powerful, and that's the preposition in. If you have been baptized, you are in Christ. If you have been baptized, you are a new creation. If you have been baptized, you are in the beloved son of the father. So you, a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve, have been now brought into Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. So we got something better that Adam, even if he never failed, could never have merited. We have the ability to have eternal life, which is the very life proper to God himself. So what is the beautiful thing about that news? That you are, I mean, 1 John chapter 3, beloved, we are children of God, and so we are. The idea is to realize that we have the spirit of adoption, the very spirit of Jesus Christ poured into our hearts. And the funny thing is we act as if we are not priest, prophet, and king. The funny thing is we live, even though we have the fullness, we act as if we don't. Because we, many of us have never seen it demonstrated or manifest. Many of us are hesitant because we don't know what it means to live a life in the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so brothers and sisters, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to challenge you. Only one or two people in this room need to do this. And I'm not joking. Only one or two people, if you do this, you will literally, I'm not saying like be the change. This isn't a Gandhi bumper sticker. What I'm saying is if one or two of you in this room actually do this, you will literally change the face of maybe the diocese, probably Texas. Right? And that's stop showing up at events like this just to make yourself feel better and start looking at events like this to be a catalyst for real holiness. Because what the church needs now is not more commentators. Oh, I'm gonna go home and start a blog post. I'm gonna open up my own YouTube channel or start a podcast. Lord knows we have enough podcasters. They're the worst, right? <laughs> so what you guys need to do is you need to make a radical commitment. I'm gonna stop listening and I'm gonna start doing. Or I'm gonna keep, keep listening, keep listening. But also start the doing. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if any man hears these words of mine and does them. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The same rock that Jesus takes you from that desolate pit and places you on top of. The rock of safety, the rock of security. But it's not a safety and security to keep you comfortable. It's a safety and security. What does Jesus say? When the winds beat against it, when the floodwaters come up, and when the rains come tumbling down. Jesus never says you'll never fall into the pit. Jesus never says the winds, the rains, and the floods won't hit your house. He says your house won't fall. Because guess what happens to the foolish people? They build their house on the sand. And the same thing happens to them. Winds, rains, floods, and their house falls. And who are those people? He's the foolish person who hears these words of mine and does not do them. It is very difficult. I have been to so many talks. I listened to so many talks. In fact, the Scott Hahn stuff, I crushed it in like 10 minutes because I listened to everything he does on double speed. Bishop Barron, sorry, 2.5 speed. 
Father Michael Schmitz, you listen to him at regular speed. You do not want to mess with the space-time continuum. He talks too fast as it is. You put that sucker at 1.5 speed, you actually go forward in time. It's crazy. I don't get it. He's like, no, 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 Bible in a year. Whoa. Okay, so. What you want to do is not just be a hearer. It is so easy to be a consumer and a commentator. It's so easy to live from a place of opinion. But Jesus Christ wants you to live from a place that sees, that fears, and that trusts. What do I mean by fear? See, here's the thing is the fear of the Lord is so greatly misunderstood. It's not just awe and wonder like, oh my gosh, you're mighty. It is that, but it's more than that. The idea is not just I'm afraid like a slave from getting caught and getting beat. That's not the idea of fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. The idea was if God is so great and I encounter so many hurdles and so many obstacles and so many honest-to-goodness tragedies, can I still say to God be the glory in the midst of it? Can I actually, do I actually believe enough? Do I have enough faith to see that God can actually use those tragedies and horribleness? Not that he caused them, but that he can use them for our spiritual benefit. That it can become something like a catalyst in your own heart that challenges the status quo. Because he just did that to the whole world. Or at least he, it, it could be that if you would let it. A catalyst for change, a time to say, okay, Lord, here's the tragedy that befell us. Here's the thing that the floodwaters came smacking against the, our, the house of America's economy, came smacking against our social institutions, came smacking against my favorite bar, and all of the horribleness that we could possibly imagine, right? That was a joke. That was a joke. No? Okay. Gosh, one of these 18-year-olds and not 21-year-olds? Whoopsie. But what we want in this, right, what we want in this is we want to allow the Holy Spirit room enough to take tragedy and to turn it into a refiner's fire, forged and refined. You cannot get a better term for small groups today. Forged and refined. Do you think those processes are easy or painless? So you have to say to yourself, Lord Jesus, do I want you or do I want my comfort? Because right now and for the foreseeable future, it is going to get very uncomfortable living the life of Christ and walking in the way of the Lord Jesus. But that's okay. It's okay because Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for thus did they persecute the prophets who were before you. So what are we doing here? We're going on a journey. And God hit that Nintendo reset button. I know I shouldn't say the word reset in of COVID. But God hit that reset button on the earth, right? Almost, right? In our politics and our, all of this stuff, like religious chaos, all this stuff that's going on. But it can become for us an opportunity to launch a new song. It can become for us an opportunity to do something new that has not been done before. A laity that doesn't reject the priesthood, right? That's shenanigans. You don't ever do that. Jesus Christ gave us the ministerial priesthood, right? We don't reject the sacraments. We don't reject the liturgy. We embrace all of the sacraments so that we can be fully nourished, reconciled, forgiven, and empowered to then walk out the door with the dominion that Jesus Christ died and rose to give you and to start conquering strongholds out there. But what we do is we walk out there, we look around and it's really cold and people don't share your worldviews and your politics, and we do a U-turn and we're like, well... I'm going to go sit down in the pews again. But the reason why the world doesn't share your views and the world doesn't share your religious outlook is because we have not done a good job sharing it. And sometimes when we share it afterwards, we don't really do a good job witnessing to it. 
So my question for you is do we want to go on a journey from point A to point B with our Lord Jesus Christ? It involves carrying a cross. There's no, Jesus did not read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Never read that. He's like, you want to be a follower of mine? Take up your cross. Follow me. Deny yourself. And you're like, is there like some swag we can get too, Lord? Like, like a koozie, right? There's no koozie. There's only the cross. Someone tweet that right now. There's no koozie, there's only the cross. But here's the deal, if you're gonna go on a journey, you have to understand that it does have an endpoint, and that endpoint is complete and absolute union with God in Christ Jesus for eternity. You will be in Christ. You are already by virtue of your baptism. If you need to reboot your life in Christ, Run, do not walk to confession. Don't listen to Aaron. I want all of you. I want people breathing on each other. I want you coughing on each other. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. You're so not going to pay me. But the idea is, do not walk to salvation. But my follow-up is, yes, if you need to be forgiven, go to confession. But if you need to be transformed, and I know some of us in this room, that is exactly what we need. You need, and you can only do this through community. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a brief pause to hear from our advertisers. But before that, I need this hammered into your hearts and minds. EKSB at ascensionpress.com. Email us if you have questions, concerns, you have uh, certain situations that you are struggling with when it comes to evangelizing people. We're going to return to the talk in just a minute with the conclusion, but I would love to hear from you. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Confession for forgiveness, community for transformation. People who love you enough to challenge your priorities and call you out when you aren't walking in their path. Brothers and sisters, this is the hard thing that only one or two or, or maybe three may do in this room. And that's to say, I'm committed. I'm committed to Jesus Christ. I'm not committed to an ideology. I'm committed to a person. I'm committed to my personal sanctification. I'm going to become holy. And holiness is not defined like the Pharisees where it's like, ooh, get away from me, sinner. Holiness is defined in Christ Jesus as running after the sinners. And you are chief among them. So, oh, sinner, we need to be reconciled. Oh, sinner, we need to let Christ pull us out of this desperate pit we've fallen into. Amen? Some of y'all are like, I gotta go home and throw away some stuff and clear my internet history and do a whole bunch of house cleaning to get ready for this. And here's the deal, you do, you do. 
and you need to invite people into that mess because we have been too alone for too long. And I mean, not just the quarantines and all this stuff. We have been too alone in our walk with Christ. We have let the isolation of, of following Jesus and consuming talks and, well, I go to this church, well, I go to that church, well, is this the way, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. What we have to do is say, I am committed to Jesus Christ here, now, and to you because of him. And when we walk in that direction, guess what happens? Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am present in their midst. When he's present in our midst, even though we're not inside the church, that means we take Christ outside into a world that has rejected him. And there we discover the very people who he has called by name. Wouldn't you want to be, like in Luke 15, he tells three parables. The parable of the woman and her 10 coins, where she has a lost coin, she finds it, she calls her neighbors together rejoicing. A man who has a lost sheep, he finds it, and he calls his neighbor together rejoicing. Don't you want to party with the angels? Where Jesus says, for thus will the angels rejoice when a sinner repents and returns to God. Don't you want to be on the side of the partying angels? Well, you don't get to that heavenly party without welcoming sinners home to Christ. Not home to you, home to Jesus. You're not the Savior. You're in need of a Savior, as am I, mostly. Mostly just you. But you're in need. <laughs> but it starts with that absolute humiliation by realizing, God, I got myself into this pit. God, I've walked into this miry bog and I saw the shore and I'm like, nah, I'll figure it out later. We do a lot of things to cope. We do a lot of things to self-medicate. We do. Because we're terrified at going down into the basement of our hearts and confronting the snakes that live there. But the good news is, brothers and sisters, he already is down there. His cross is already raised in victory over all the snakes that you think so intimidating. And because his resurrection is real, you know that when you descend into the darkness of that basement, you will come back up victorious. So what's stopping us from repenting? Our arrogance, our pride? Give it up. All of it's gotten us is a miry bog. I don't even know what that means. Doesn't sound good. So when we go to the sacrament of reconciliation and encounter from the ministerial priesthood, the beautiful forgiveness that Christ purchased by his death on a cross, you can walk in a radical newness of life, as St. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, a radical newness of life. The question is, will you? Or will the dog return to his vomit? Right? Will we just circle back and throw ourselves back into the same occasions of sin and the same debauchery and the same sadness and the same things that we stoke ourselves with in order to self-medicate? Or are you willing to do radical things in order to find the hope that Jesus Christ died and rose to give you? I know that there are at least one or two people in this room that are done living life on repeat. And they wanna see where the journey is gonna take them into the next song, right? You can't get off this song unless you're willing to go forward and hear that new song that the Lord wants to give you. But some of us have become so comfortable with that repeat. We know the stanzas, we know the chorus, we know the sin, we are familiar with our chains, we've named our handcuffs. But the Lord Jesus wants to move us on to a new song.
but here's the time. So I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray for you. And if you are older than 35, number one, isn't this a young adult event? How did you get in here? Number two, if you are, uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We can lie. But, uh, <laughs> on my Facebook page, it just says I'm 27. My stars. Uh, what I want you to do right now, that was weird, I apologize. Uh, what I want you to do right now, if you are over the age of 35, uh, I want you to act now as elder brothers and sisters. I know it hurts to say that, wounds my soul. But you're going to pray for the younger people right now. And younger people, all I want you to do is say three words silently to yourself. You're not impressing anyone. Silently to yourself. You're just going to say these three words, which is come Holy Spirit. And we're just going to pray for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, come flood this place. Come give us a spirit of repentance. That all the things that clung to us over maybe this last year, or maybe it was just the last month, Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be free. Lord Jesus, we don't need a newsreel scandal about our sins before we confront them. Jesus, give us a spirit of repentance. Honestly, give us a sober judgment of our own hearts, our own minds, our own deeds, our own compromises, our own self-medications and coping mechanisms, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we repent, we give it to you. Even, even the things we did with other people where it's 95% their fault, Lord Jesus, we own that 5%. No more excuses, just ownership today, Jesus, so that we can find freedom. Lord Jesus, give us a spirit of humility that we can actually overcome our embarrassments and speak the truth to the priest in sacramental confession and speak the truth to Jesus tonight in adoration. That we might allow that confrontation with truth itself set us free from the lies that we've believed these many days. So Lord Jesus, from a spirit of repentance and a spirit of humility, we ask for a spirit of hope to be reinserted into our hearts. Especially for those young people who have maybe had their freshman years in college or senior years or first years in the job force just utterly destroyed, Lord Jesus. Give us the spirit of hope that tomorrow does not have to be as bad as yesterday. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Lord Jesus, lead me into truth. Lord Jesus, I desire this, to know you, to know the Father, and to be animated by the very life and breath of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And in your matchless name we pray. Amen. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to hear me and heard my cry. Amen.